European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 41, Issue 17. Focus Issue, Coronary Artery Disease, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. Chronic Coronary Syndromes, Perfusion Pressure, FFR, and Secondary Prevention. Coronary artery disease has many faces. It may go along with non-obstructive or obstructive plaques causing ischemia, or even angina upon exercise or at rest in context of an acute event, or be silent after percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI, of bypass surgery. Finally, dysfunction of the coronary microcirculation may add complexity to the syndrome. Depending on the presence of either or several of such conditions, different management strategies must be considered. However, under all conditions, secondary prevention of cardiovascular risk factors and dual antiplatelet therapy or DAPT, as outlined in the ESC guidelines, must be considered. The latter aspect is addressed in the article Long-Term Ticagrelor for Secondary Prevention in Patients with Prior Myocardial Infarction and No History of Coronary Stenting Insights from Pegasus Timmy 54 by Remo Furtado and colleagues from the Universitade de Sao Paulo in Brazil. The authors remind us that Pegasus Timmy 54 demonstrated that in patients with prior myocardial infarction, long-term dual antiplatelet therapy or DAPT with aspirin or ticagrelor reduced the risk of major adverse cardiovascular events or MACE with an acceptable increase in bleeding. While much of the discussion around prolonged DAPT has been focused on stented patients, patients with prior myocardial infarction without prior coronary stenting comprise a clinically unaddressed subgroup. A total of 4,199 of the 21,162 patients had no history of coronary stenting. In the placebo arm, they had a higher baseline risk of MACE, i.e. 13.24% versus 7.98%, with an adjusted hazard ratio of 1.41. The relative risk reduction in MACE with ticagrelor was similar in patients without and with prior stenting, hazard ratio 0.82 and 0.85 respectively. Thus, long-term ticagrelor reduces thrombotic events in patients with prior infarction, regardless of whether they had prior coronary stenting, highlighting the benefits of DAPT and preventing spontaneous atherothrombotic events. The implications of these findings are further assessed in an editorial by Robert Welsh from the Mazankowski Alberta Heart Institute in Edmonton, Canada. Although the management of chronic and acute coronary syndromes has seen marked improvements over the last decades, morbidity and mortality remains high. Furthermore, its prevalence may increase due to ageing Western populations. Most reports estimating national incident rates of coronary and peripheral arterial disease, or CAD and PAD, have focused on stable outpatients or acute or elective hospital admissions, but not on the overall burden of the disease. In their article, Temporal trends in the incidence, treatment patterns and outcomes of coronary artery disease and peripheral artery disease in the UK 2006-2015. Varun Sundaram and colleagues from the Cleveland Medical Center in Ohio, USA report their changing trends at the population level in 4.6 million individuals from the UK. They identified 160,376 and 70,753 patients with incident CAD and PAD respectively. The age and sex standardized incidence of CAD was similar in 2006 and 2015 with an adjusted incident rate ratio of 0.98.
By contrast, there was a 15% decline in the incidence of PAD from 2006 to 2015, with an adjusted incident rate ratio of 0.85. Amongst CAD and PAD patients, only 66% and 55% respectively received statins, and was even less common amongst women, elderly greater than 70 years, and those with heart failure, chronic lung disease or depression. Cardiovascular mortality declined by 43% for incident CAD, but did not decline for incident PAD. Thus it appears that in the UK the incidence of CAD is stable with falling mortality, whereas that of PAD is falling but mortality is not. These concerning findings are put into context in an editorial by Connie Hess from the University of Colorado School of Medicine in Aurora, USA. While secondary prevention after percutaneous coronary intervention is well investigated, this is much less the case after bypass surgery, with the exception of a few trials on antiplatelet drugs. Thus, this is further pursued in the article, Secondary Prevention Medications After Coronary Artery Bypass Grafting and Long-Term Survival, a population-based longitudinal study from the Swede Heart Registry, by Anders Jepsen and colleagues from the Sara University Hospital in Gothenburg, Sweden. 28,812 patients who underwent isolated cabbage and survived at least six months after discharge were included. Statins were dispensed to 93.9% in the first six months and to 77.3% eight years later. Corresponding figures for beta blockers were 91% and 76.4%, for RAS inhibitors 72.9% and 65.9%, and for platelet inhibitors 93% and 79.8%. All medications were dispensed less often to patients greater than or equal to 75 years. Treatment with statins, hazard ratio 0.56, RAS inhibitors, hazard ratio 0.78, and platelet inhibitors, hazard ratio 0.74, were all associated with lower adjusted mortality. However, there was no association between beta blockers and mortality risk. Thus, secondary prevention medications after bypass surgery was high early after surgery, but decreased over time. The results suggest that treatment with statins, RAS inhibitors and platelet inhibitors is essential after cabbage, whereas the routine use of beta blockers may be questioned. These novel findings in these under-investigated patients are further discussed in an editorial by Francisco Lopez Jimez and Bernard Gresh from the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine in Rochester, Minnesota, USA. Fractional flow reserve is a well-established method to assess the hemodynamic significance of coronary lesions and an effective guide for appropriate stenting. However, it has never been investigated in patients with CAD and reduced ejection fraction. In their article, Fractional Flow Reserve in Patients with Reduced Ejection Fraction, Emmanuel Barbato and colleagues from the Università degli Studi di Napoli Frederico Duo in Napoli, Italy, evaluated this issue in 433 patients with LVEF less than 50% and matched with 433 patients with LVEF greater than 50% and 866 patients of the angiography-guided group. After FFR, stenotic vessels were significantly downgraded compared with the angiography-guided group, with in turn a lower revascularization rate of 52% versus 62%. All-cause death at five-year follow-up was significantly lower in the FFR-guided as compared to the angiography-guided group, with a hazard ratio of 0.64. Similarly, 
The rate of MACE was significantly lower in the FFR-guided group, while overall death and MACE was more common in patients with reduced LVEF compared to the controls. Thus, in coronary patients with reduced LVEF, FFR-guided revascularization was associated with lower rates of death and MACE at five years, as compared with an angiography-guided strategy. This beneficial impact was observed in parallel with less cabbage and more patients deferred to PCI or medical therapy. Perfusion pressure is essential to nourish the myocardium for proper function. As coronary perfusion occurs mainly during diastole, diastolic blood pressure is the main determinant. A J-curve phenomenon of diastolic blood pressure and cardiovascular events has been well established in the population at large in patients with hypertension, hyperlipidemia and cardiovascular risk. However, less is known in those with left ventricular dysfunction after myocardial infarction. This is addressed by Michael Baum and colleagues from the Universitas Klinikum de Saarlandes in Homburg, Germany, in their manuscript, Myocardial Reperfusion Reverses the J-Curve Association of Cardiovascular Risk and Diastolic Blood Pressure in Patients with Left Ventricular Dysfunction and Heart Failure After Myocardial Infarction. Insights from the EFFAS Trial. This was explored in 5,929 patients after acute myocardial infarction with impaired LVEF signs and symptoms of heart failure or diabetes in the EFFAS trial. In patients without reperfusion, diastolic blood pressure less than 70 millimeters of mercury was associated with increased risk of all-cause death with a hazard ratio of 1.80, cardiovascular death with one of 1.70, cardiovascular death or cardiovascular hospitalization with one of 1.54. In contrast, in those with reperfusion, the risk increase at low diastolic blood pressure was not observed. However, at low systolic blood pressure, risk increased independently of reperfusion. Thus, this for the first time demonstrates after acute myocardial infarction with a low diastolic blood pressure increases CV risk, but not in those receiving reperfusion. This supports the hypothesis that low diastolic blood pressure in patients with stenotic coronary lesions is associated with risk, most likely due to reduced perfusion pressure. The clinical implications of these important findings are put into context in a thoughtful editorial by Franz Mazzelli from the Inselbital University Hospital Bern in Switzerland. Major depression, job strain and other psychological factors have been associated with CAD. Current knowledge on this issue is summarised in a current opinion on Depression and Coronary Heart Disease, 2018 position paper of the ESC Working Group on Coronary Pathophysiology and Microcirculation by Raphael Bugiardini from the University of Bologna in Italy and colleagues. As defined by the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, major depression is characterised by depressed mood or anhedonia, i.e. loss of interest or pleasure for at least two weeks, accompanied by functional impairment and additional somatic or cognitive symptoms. Most epidemiological studies of depression and incidence of CAD have used depressive symptom scales and have frequently demonstrated a dose-response pattern, with high levels of depressive symptoms being associated with higher risk. The exact mechanism linking depression with CAD are complex and multifactorial, and still incompletely understood. Although adverse lifestyles and risk factors, such as smoking and sedentary lifestyle, largely contribute to the risk, they do not explain it entirely. 
In CAD, depression is also associated with severity of functional impairment, lower adherence to therapy and lower participation in cardiac rehabilitation. Whether and to what extent these factors explain the relationship deserves future study. The issue is also complemented by various discussion forum pieces in a contribution entitled Appropriate Cohort Selection and its Impact on Meta-Analysis Evaluating the Efficacy of Direct Oral Anticoagulants Post-Percutaneous Coronary Intervention Parjumana Agasti and colleagues from the Mayo Clinic Arizona in Phoenix, Arizona, USA comment on the recent contribution entitled Safety and Efficacy Outcomes of Double versus Triple Antithrombotic Therapy in Patients with Atrial Fibrillation Following Percutaneous Coronary Intervention a systematic review and meta-analysis of non-vitamin K antagonistic oral anticoagulant-based randomized clinical trials by Marco Valgemili and colleagues from the University of Bern in Switzerland. Valgemili et al. respond in a separate comment. In another discussion forum contribution, Periprocedural Myocardial Injury in the EXCEL trial, Johannes Bjornstadt and colleagues from the Oslo Universitet Sikahus in Norway discuss the recent contribution Impact of a large periprocedural myocardial infarction on mortality after percutaneous coronary intervention and coronary artery bypass grafting for left main disease. An analysis from the EXCEL trial by Ori Ben Yehud and colleagues from the Cardiovascular Research Foundation. Yehud and colleagues respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.